Amen. Thank you, children. Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter one. I can't help but do this. I noticed this sign that Jennifer has. So I thought I'd turn it in your direction for a chance. Y'all are sad looking sometimes. I read something about it. So looks like some Christians are baptized in lemon juice. Uh, so there you go. That's a little reminder today as you listen. If you sleep, try to put a smile on before you doze off, okay? Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to continue a message we began last week. Philippians chapter 1, talking about citizens of heaven on earth. Citizens of heaven on earth. In his popular seminars on leadership, management guru William A. Cohen often ask his audiences if they can think of any organization that has all of these attributes. And I want you to listen to these attributes and see if you can think of an organization that would certainly fit all of them. The workers work very hard physically, including weekends, with little complaint. The workers receive no money and little compensation for their services. The work is dangerous and workers are frequently injured on the job. The work is strictly voluntary. The workers usually have very high morale. The organization always has more workers than can be employed. And the workers are highly motivated to achieve the organization's goals. Now, the executives attending those particular seminars are frequently stumped. And they respond, there's certainly no organization like that on the earth that meets all those. Can you think of one, anybody? Well, Cohen knows of one such organization. And it's the high school football team. And the author I was reading who was quoting this added these words to what he was writing. Christians know of another, the church. Well, I think he's right that that should be the case. I'm afraid it's not always the way that it is. Let me read through those again. I want you to think about these in regards to the church. All right. Think about the church. The workers work very hard physically, including weekends with little complaint. The workers receive no money and little compensation for their services. The work is dangerous and workers are frequently injured on the job. The work is strictly voluntary. The workers usually have very high morale. The organization always has more workers than can be employed. And the workers are highly motivated to achieve the organization's goals. And you're going to see in our study of Philippians today that those attributes are true. Yes, even the one about it being very highly dangerous and workers being injured on the job. If you were with us last week, you know that we began looking at four characteristics Four things that show or are evident in the life of a citizen of heaven on earth. And as believers, we're to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ while living our daily lives. We talk about the need to stand fast or stand firm for what we believe in. We talked about the need of being united, living in unity and harmony. And today we're going to add numbers three and four to that list. Let's go and look at the scripture together. Philippians chapter one, and I'll begin reading at verse 27. 
Only let your conversation, remember that's uh, manner of life or behavior, your citizenship of heaven. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye, watch this, stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Quiet our hearts, remove any hindrances, any distractions. I pray your Holy Spirit to work in a mighty way in our midst today. Lord, use me, I pray, for your glory in the Savior's name. Amen. Stand fast. Be united. Now, the third one today is this. Work together. Look at verse 27 again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Now, watch this next part. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Work together. Now, the Greek word that's translated here for us, striving together, is where we get our English words athlete and athletics from. The picture here is one of an athletic contest. You know, in a, in a team, the team is to work together, they're to strive together, they're to press toward the goal together. And it naturally builds on the unity we've already talked about here in this passage. We're to work together to do what, preacher? It says striving together, what? For the faith of the gospel. We're to work together to get out the gospel. We're to promote and proclaim the gospel. We're to show and share the gospel. Robert Morgan wrote, everything that we do should be advancing the Great Commission. And every one of us has our role to fill, our job to do, our part to play. It may be preaching or keeping the nurseries. It may be a far-flung mission field or teaching the children at home. Perhaps your role is counting the Sunday offerings, greeting visitors, visiting the sick, singing, planning socials. But all of it plows into the Great Commission. He says that his father enlisted in the uh, army during World War II. And they didn't send him to Europe or to South Pacific. They sent his father to the mountains of East Tennessee. They sent him there as an agricultural specialist to help the farmers to increase their crops for the war effort. He said during the very same World War, England needed to increase its production of coal. So Winston Churchill called together labor leaders to enlist their support. He told them to picture in their minds a parade that he knew would be held in Piccadilly Circus after the war. First, he said, would come the sailors who had kept the vital sea lanes open. Then would come the soldiers who had come from Dunkirk and then gone after the defeat of Rommel in Africa. And then would come the pilots who had driven the Luftwaffe from the sky. And last of all, he said, would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men and miners' caps. And someone would cry from the crowd, and where were you during the critical days of the struggle? And he said, from 10,000 throats would come the answer, we were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. 
And Morgan says not all the jobs of the church are glamorous and prominent. But it's often the people with their faces to the cold who help the church to accomplish its mission. Without them, we could not go on like we do. Think about it. A lot of people work to prepare for this service that you're sitting in right now. And many of those folks get very little recognition here. Why? Because their job is not glamorous. Somebody came beforehand and turned on the air conditioners and made sure they were set properly so you would be comfortable. Someone typed and printed and prepared the bulletins. Someone took the time to arrange the flowers you see before us. Someone is keeping the nurseries right now. Some are teaching, teaching children's church and on and on and on. And you know what? All those folks play a vital role in whatever is accomplished for eternity in this service this morning. As they serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The same thing on Wednesday nights. We come together and someone beforehand has went and bought groceries and prepared a meal that we might enjoy it together. Folks have studied, folks have prepared all kinds of things, getting ready. And many of those jobs are not glamorous. They're not prominent. They don't get praise for them. But listen, without them, we could not do what we do. We work together and we strive together for the gospel. Now, I want you to notice what it says here. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're to strive together. It does not say just the preachers to get out the gospel. It doesn't say just the deacons are to get out the gospel. It says that we're to strive together, all of us, working together to get out the gospel. Romackey, going back to a, another illustration using football, he said, like a good defensive unit in football, the believers must not let Satan and false teachers penetrate their assembly and like a good offensive unit, they must drive forward to victory. They must defend the truth and win converts at the very same time. Striving together to get out the gospel. Jude has it this way. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was need for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We're to preach the gospel. Not adding anything to it, nor taking anything from it. Now, the real question this morning, I think sometimes we need to settle is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? We talk about it. We talk about the Great Commission. We talk about sharing our faith and sharing the gospel. What are we talking about? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll find a good summation of what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll begin reading at verse number 1. First Corinthians chapter 15. If we're to strive together to get out the gospel, we need to know what the gospel is. First Corinthians 15, beginning at verse one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now watch this. Verse three. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. What's it saying there? It speaks, of course, about the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be clear about the gospel and careful to give out the gospel clearly. The gospel is not getting people to join the church. 
as wonderful as that is and as needful as that is in obedience, that is not the gospel. Getting folks baptized is not the gospel. Baptism does not save. You'll go in a dry sinner and come out a wet sinner if you do not trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a step of obedience, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself in the flesh. It's the realization that we are sinners, we're lost, we're dead, we're undone, we're destined for hell, we cannot save ourselves. But He took our place. He died in our place. He bled in our place. He was buried in our place. He arose victorious. And because He did that, we can have new life in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sin. Become heirs and join heirs with Christ in a home in heaven. As we're getting out the gospel, beloved, let's be careful that we're getting out the true gospel. John fourteen six, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Christ is not a way to heaven. He's the way to heaven. The only way. Now, you know what? That, that is not politically correct, but it's biblically, biblically correct. And that's where it's important. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Now, why all this talk of working together? Well, he says it right there in Philippians, does he? He says, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let me ask you this. Where are you today? Say, well, I'm 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 sitting right here, preacher. Okay, that's good. I'm glad to know that. But where are you in regards to striving together for the faith of the gospel? Are you working with us, this church, to get out the gospel? If the answer is no, then what needs to happen for that to be so? Well, several things may be present here today. First of all, some need to be saved. You can't work together to get the gospel if you don't know the gospel. You don't know Jesus. You need to realize your need of Christ. You need to trust Jesus as your own Lord and Savior. Some need to obey the Lord in believers' baptism and church membership and say, yes, God has led me here. I want to obey him in baptism. I want to obey him in joining together with this body of believers. Some need to get rid of sin in their lives and focus on the Lord. Some need to pray and say words like this. Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do for you here in this local church? You brought me here, Lord. You have me here, Lord. What do you want me to do as we strive together to get out the gospel? Some need to do this. They need to forgive a past hurt. They need to forgive a past hurt and wound and move on for the Lord Jesus. You know, some folks will let a past hurt or a wound hinder them for years. Need to get past that. Give it to the Lord. Get over it and move on. Some need to realize that God has placed them here and wants to use them here. You know, some people may think this way. Well, if I was in this church or that church, if I could go to so-and-so's church, I could go to a bigger church. Listen, God put you here. God put you here. You're stuck here with me. Sorry. God wants to use you here. What is it he wants to do in your life? Some need to listen. Some need to quit criticizing everybody and everything and start doing something besides talking. Now, that's strong, but it's right. God did not call you here to criticize everybody and everything. God placed you here to labor, to help us to get out the gospel. So quit talking and start working. 
Boy, that's strong. Amen. Amen. Preach it, preacher. In the body of Christ, nobody's going to amen, I'll amen myself. In the body of Christ, we need believers who are settled, who are stable and sober. Listen, somebody wrote, some Christians are like wheelbarrows. No good unless pushed. Some are like canoes. They need to be paddled. Some are like kites. If you don't keep a string on them, they'll fly away. Some are like footballs. You can't tell which way they're going to bounce next. They just bounce all over the place. Some are like balloons full of wind and likely to blow up unless handled carefully. And some are like trailers. No good unless pulled. Beloved, we have enough Christians like that. We need some Christians who are serious, who are sold out for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not advocating burning out. I'm not advocating you doing more than God has called you to do. You know, one of the reasons that some people get in that situation, because other folks are not doing what they ought to be doing. God has put us here. He's equipped us to do what he's called us to do. And it's everybody working together, striving together, Paul says here, to, for the faith of the gospel. Beloved, let's stand fast. Let's be united. Let's work together to get the gospel. Notice fourthly this morning, as we keep reading here in our passage. And this is a tough one. We're to suffer for Christ. If you were in the adult Sunday school lessons this morning, what was taught fits very nicely into what we're talking about today. As we go passage by passage, God has orchestrated that. So we need to keep our ears picked up and listen. Look at verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Now watch this verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Listen, when you truly seek to go forward with the gospel, you will have adversaries. Now, don't go looking for them. They'll find you. And the first part of verse 28 says, and nothing terrified by your adversaries. That means scared. The picture here in the original is the idea of a horse who gets spooked and runs away. By the way, if you've ever been around a horse who gets spooked, that's a very dangerous thing. It carries also the idea of being intimidated. Don't be intimidated by your adversaries. Now, the sad thing is, some Christians don't have any adversaries. Why? Vance Havner, the old preacher, said, this is why, I think, we leave comfortable homes and ride in comfortable cars to sit in comfortable churches and hear comfortable sermons. What do we know about the reproach of Christ? And he's right. Second Timothy three twelve says, yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul says, listen, don't be scared. Don't be intimidated. Don't run away because of your adversaries. But then the question arises, then that means I'm going to, have to endure suffering. Well, listen to what the scripture says. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Listen. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Notice that falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. 
First Peter four twelve through 19, beloved, thank you not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice. You notice this rejoice. Be happy, be glad. The theme of Philippians is rejoicing and being joyful. Rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment, listen, judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely, scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. Does that mean sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer? That's what it means. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, why are we not to be afraid and scared when we suffer for righteousness? Well, there are four things mentioned here in this passage. Look at this here. First of all, it's because they, those who are doing the persecution, they're doomed. Look at verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. In other words, it showed that those who were persecuting, those who were causing the Philippians to suffer, they did not know God. They're doomed and condemned without Christ and they're headed for destruction. But some commentators also said this. Notice what it says. It's an evident token of perdition to them, an evident token of perdition. It's the idea that. It's a sign to those doing the persecution. In other words, as they look at the believers and their stand, as they stand strong for Christ, God could even use that strong stand to make those persecutors realize their own need of Christ. They're doomed. Secondly, we're saved. Look at verse 28 again. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them... An evident token of perdition, watch this, but to you of salvation and that of God. The fact that you're suffering for righteousness shows and reminds you again that you are indeed God's child. Now, the idea here is suffering for righteousness, not suffering for your own sin, your bad choices. Suffering that was mentioned there about being a murderer, a thief and an evildoer, a busybody. Not that kind of suffering. Sometimes we bring suffering in ourselves. But it's the suffering that comes because we love and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Third, this was going to sound strange. Suffering is a gift. Look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And we don't have a problem with the first part of that verse. Praise the Lord for the gift of being able to believe on him, to have him as our savior. But to think about suffering being a gift to suffer for him, how could suffering be a gift? 
In all honesty, we want to avoid suffering at all costs. I've never met anybody in their right mind when I said to them, how are you doing today? That said to me, I'm fine, but I wish I could suffer a little bit more. (laughs) Have you ever met anybody about like that? No. Now, Paul is suffering right now in a prison in Rome, but he's still joyful. In fact, in the third chapter, verse 10, here's what he says, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, we're not to go looking for suffering. We're not to go looking for suffering. But when it comes, we have to trust God and live for him. In fact, Romacki mentions several things that suffering produces in us. First of all, it produces assurance. First Peter 414, if you be reproached for them of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of glory and of God rested upon you on their part is evil spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified. It produces assurance. We know that we're God's child. It also produces rewards, rewards. First Peter 413. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. It also produces beloved. We've already studied this. It produces evangelistic fruit. Look at our passage this morning. Chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many are the brethren of the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It brought about evangelistic fruit because of what Paul was experiencing. The gospel is going forth. And finally, it brings about glory to God. Acts chapter nine, verse 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. If we were all honest this morning and I were to sit down with you after service, we go out and have a bite to eat together. And I ask you this question in your life. Have you grown more during the good times or the hard times? If we're all honest, we'd say what? I grew during the hard times. I grew during those difficult times. I grew during those times of suffering. Why are we not to fear? They're doomed. We're saved. Suffering is a gift. And then fourth, I don't want you to miss this. We are not alone. Look at verse 30. Having the same conflict, Paul writes, which you saw in me and now here to be in me. When did they see it in him? Remember when the church at Philippi was founded back in Acts chapter 16? They saw him suffering for Christ. And now they know he's suffering again for Christ as he's in a Roman prison, probably under house arrest at this time. They saw it and they heard it. Now, listen, suffering is a part of the Christian life. Our suffering may not be the same as the martyrs, those who literally lose their lives for the faith. But we're to suffer and will suffer in various ways. It may be at home. It may be at work. It may be at school. It may be in our neighborhood. I ran across a list that someone had made that listed some of the things that a believer may face. And perhaps you face some of these very things because, you know, in our mind's eye, we think this way. Well, I've never suffered because nobody's ever hit me or beat me or or threatened my life. That may be so. But listen to some of the things. Being avoided. Because you're a Christian. Ridiculed. 
mocked, isolated, ignored, neglected, overlooked, bypassed, cursed, questioned, abused, mistreated, slandered. If you read the beginning of this morning's Sunday school lesson, I think there was a story about a man who had trusted Christ and he changed his life because his life had been changed. And it cost him, even in his business relationships, because he no longer did the things he once did, but God ultimately blessed him. We may never die, literally because of our faith, but we do suffer as we live for Christ. John fifteen twenty says, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. While we meet this morning in freedom, and how much longer that's going to last, I don't know. But right now we're free to meet and to worship. And as we meet here today, I have no fear at all. I have no fear at all meeting here this morning. We know that folks have died because of their faith. But I stand here no fear. We live in a great free country. But I know around the world today, I have brothers and sisters in Christ who are meeting secretly right now. Who are meeting, realizing at any moment the authorities could burst in and literally kill them for their faith. There are those who are in chains this morning. There are those being tortured this morning. There are those who are dying today because they stand for Jesus Christ. And how dare we not uphold them in prayer? And how dare we take for granted the freedoms that we enjoy? These who would love to have the freedoms you and I have, yet we can barely drag ourselves to church on Sunday mornings. And these folks meet in fear and meet at the realization that they may lose their lives, but they take that chance because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. And as such, we're to live like that on earth. Are we working together? Are we striving together? Realize that we're going to suffer together for the cause of Christ. Ted Engstrom wrote this and we'll close. I was cleaning out a desk drawer when I found a flashlight I hadn't used in over a year. He said, I flipped the switch, but wasn't surprised when it gave no light. I unscrewed it and shook to get the batteries out, but they wouldn't budge. Finally, after some effort, they came loose. As he looked in, he said, what a mess. Battery acid had corroded the entire inside of the flashlight. He said, now the batteries were new when I put them in and I stored them in a safe, warm place but there was one problem. The batteries weren't made to be warm and comfortable. They were designed to be turned on and used. And he says it's the same with us. We were not created to be warm, safe and comfortable. You and I were made to be turned on, to put our love to work, to apply patience in the difficult times and trying situations, to let our light shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works, the scripture says, and glorify your father, which is in heaven. I want to ask you today in closing, are you shining brightly for the Lord Jesus? Are you truly living as a citizen of heaven on earth? You know, some here today might say, you know what? I keep quiet. I do everything I can at work, at school, everywhere I am. Let nobody know I even go to church or I'm a believer. Well, friend, that needs to change. 
You need to come before the Lord and say, Father, forgive me and help me to stand strongly. I don't mean be weird and obnoxious and boisterous. I mean just live your life for Jesus Christ. Regardless of what others think, say or do. We're to stand firm. We're to be united. We're to work together. And we're to suffer together for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for this time. Father, I pray that you'd work in this invitation. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you through Christ, I pray today they'll come to Christ and have him as their own Lord and Savior. I pray for believers, Lord, who know you. Maybe they need to surrender. Maybe they need to obey the Lord in believers' baptism or church membership. Maybe there's sin in their lives they need to get straightened out or compromise. Maybe it's just pure, plain laziness in serving you. Maybe it's something else. Well, Lord, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on in their lives, I pray in these next few moments they'd surrender and get right and live right for your honor and your glory. In the Savior's name, amen.